the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Today, we have the Pac-12 betting preview, which I'm actually really excited to get into because this isn't Clemson going to win the ACC, Ohio State going to win the Big Ten. This is wide open, both divisions, a lot of back and forth arguing uh, I think it's a fascinating conference this year. The Pac-12 Conference. At least we're not the Big 12. You excited to get into the uh, Pac-12? Yeah, this was a conference that you and I had debated years past, like throwing it away, doing the group of five first. We want to do the Sun Belt. But there is a healthy set of teams, especially in the South, a healthy set of teams that can win that division. Uh, I think there's a lot of unknowns going on in the North. One team we really don't like, two teams that are really just kind of a coin flip against each other. There's so much talking point, and college football is so lucky to have some great viewing product. Now, whether you can find the Pac-12 network on your TV this fall is one thing, but, man, to me, Pac-12 is exciting this season. Very. Uh, We're going to get into every team. We're going to talk favorite win totals, favorite futures, Pac-12 championship game prediction. We'll even get into some uh, sponsors. We'll have, we'll have some Walter White quotes, I think, from Breaking Bad. Well, if you don't know why, you probably don't know why. You'll mm-hmm. soon find out, and that might be a theme throughout the season. But let's dive right in here. And by the way, thank you. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review the new feed. Big bets on campus. You can search it. I mean, you're obviously listening to it now. You found it, but please subscribe. This is where Colin and I will be for now on. If we'll no longer be on the Action Network podcast doing anything college, it's the college feed just for you. Uh, and we'll have more content, and it's no other content. It's an exclusive college only podcast. And we're able to do this because uh, of you guys and all the support that you've given us. So looking forward to a big college football year, just like last year. And the good news is look, I'm so happy. I'm even. More ecstatic to be talking Pac-12 because I just got done watching the Diamondbacks lose a four nothing blow, four nothing lead in the ninth, and then they lost an extra innings. And I'm now three and fourteen in extra innings this year. I'm still ha- up in baseball somehow, but the good news is for anyone following in football, I mean, I'm due. I'm gonna. I hope I. I that better be. I'm, I'm going like ten and one in overtimes this year. And there's the two point conversion. By the way, they start that in a third overtime, mm-hmm. um, which I'm excited for. If you have a dog. It's just uh, a couple less extra overtimes you have to sweat. I've lost a plus seven and a half uh, underdog multiple times in triple overtime. Texas and USC against Stanford. And we're so what, we're looking for, what we're looking for this year is having minus three and a half in the third overtime. A team scores their two-point conversion, and then they run back a two-point conversion the other way, lose by four, and, and lose you know three and a half. So I, that, that's what we're going to be looking out for this year for a bad beat. 
Well, fortunately, Zayvon Collins has moved on to the NFL, so I don't have to worry about a two-lane beat where it was a pick six, but felt the same. Throws over the middle. It's intercepted by Zayvon Collins. Collins left side. He may take it all the way. Holy smokes. Collins takes it back all the way. All right, anyway, let's move, let's move on to the Pac-12. Really fascinating conference this year. Only new coach is in Arizona. Uh, Arizona's been a dumpster fire for the past couple years. They are starting anew. We'll get to them last. They're in the basement, but they have new offensive coordinator and defense coordinator. Lowest win total in the Pac-12. It's going to be a rebuilding year. We'll get to Arizona. There's a, a number of defensive coordinator and defensive staff changes, which we'll touch on throughout the show. Uh, for, as far from an odds perspective, Oregon's plus 260 to win the Pac-12. Washington's plus 350-ish. USC plus 400. Arizona State plus 500. And Utah as well. And then, you know, UCLA 12 to 1. And then you get down to Cal 25 to 1 and so on. But you can see, I mean, Oregon plus 260 to Utah plus 500. That's five teams between plus 260 and plus 500. Shows you how wide open it is. Let's start in the Pac-12 North. Uh, It's a two-team race, in my opinion. Uh, between, and the odds indicate that as well, between Oregon and Washington. The Oregon Ducks and the Washington Huskies. And then, you know, we kind of group the the rest, Cal, Stanford, Washington State, and Oregon State, a tier, you know, in some cases one and a half or two tiers below those two teams. Oregon, depending on where you look, you know, some places they're minus 120, minus 110, minus 105 to win the division in Washington will find plus 125, plus 130, plus 135. Looking at Oregon, I mean, both these teams are really similar to me. I'm lower on both compared to the most of the market from what I, you know, can infer from market prices. And then the gap I have between Washington and Oregon is narrower than I think what a lot of people in the market have. So the way that I look at both, and we'll get into both of these teams, but I, for example, took Washington plus 135 to win the Pac-12 North. I'm not really sold on either quarterback and both Anthony Brown at Oregon and Morris at Washington might have very short leashes, right? There's a lot of talent. It's young behind them. That's going to be breathing down their neck if they struggle early, but there's questions on, on each roster quarterback is, you know, if one of these quarterbacks can really step up on either team, that would really separate them. But as of right now, I have these teams pretty close the difference is Washington hosts Oregon in what I think is pretty much, based on my power ratings right now, a coin flip game uh, after you adjust for home field. So most likely that game is going to determine who wins the division. And it's at Washington in Seattle, Husky Stadium, presumably with fans. It's a great atmosphere. So, you know, coin flip game that should decide, decide the division. I mean, I'm going to take the plus 135 with Washington. And not only that, if you look at Oregon, Oregon goes – now, we're just looking at, at conference games. Like, Oregon goes to Ohio State and Washington goes to, to Michigan. But Oregon goes to Washington, to Utah, to UCLA, and to Stanford. Meanwhile, Washington, they host Oregon. They also host Arizona State, and they host UCLA. And they avoid USC. And, they're, you know, their two toughest games, their two toughest Pac-12 opponents they get are at home. So, you know, these two teams that have great home field advantage that are, you know, close in my power ratings. I do have Oregon with a little bit of an edge. I think that's what's going to make the difference. A much easier schedule for Washington. They get Oregon at home. I'm taking the plus 135. What are your thoughts on that? And then uh, take one of these teams and let's dive in. 
Well, one of these teams uh, I think should be taken for the division in the North. And one of these teams, I think their win total should be taken on the under down to a mathematical perspective from their conference win total. I have Washington at 6.5. I have Oregon at 6.1. And I, and I will admit I am way lower on Oregon than a lot of people, but it goes to your point that that is a coin flip game and it happens on Washington's turf. You know, Washington, we didn't learn much. And I think this is the one conference we should preface this entire podcast by saying there weren't that many Pac-12 games. There were new coaches coming in. There's, you know, Jamar Jefferson's not in the North anymore. We have new players, new coordinators. We have schemes that weren't implemented because I don't have my personnel and I don't know how many games we're going to play. We're just going to cancel ourselves out of the bowl season. And oh, by the way, Colorado should have been in the you know, Pac-12 championship game, but we, you know, we decided to go with Oregon who finished second in their division. So I, it was just kind of a mess. Uh, and if you look at the defensive numbers really as a whole from the North, they're a bit of a mess. Uh, every team finished outside the top 100 in success rate on defense with the exception of Oregon who finished 88th. This podcast should not lean so much on what the actual stats were from last season. We do not sit around on the first week of October and say, well, this happened in September. That is it for this team. That's where we're going to fall for the rest of the season. Teams change. Sometimes you don't pick up till the fifth or sixth game. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind as you and I podcast as far as Washington goes, definitely the easier schedule, but that doesn't mean that that's the reason that you should take them to win the North. There's a lot of takeaways from Jimmy Lake in year one. Jimmy Lake was with Chris Peterson forever. He was a former defensive coordinator. Uh, then his defensive coordinator was Phil Kwiatkowski, who has now moved on to Texas, uh, but he has elevated uh, you know, someone from his staff to come up and be defensive coordinator. They're not going to change who they are. The defensive success rate is going to be there. The Havoc's going to be there. They return a ton of players that have Havoc, and they're going to run the same scheme, and that scheme has been able to shut down air raids. I think it's going to be able to shut down the run and shoot. Jimmy Lake is really – it's it's just kind of <laughs> easy to him to shut down air raid offenses. So John Donovan's going to continue as the offensive coordinator. Uh, he was hired pre-pandemic from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the knock on Donovan is that he's extremely predictable in standard downs and extremely predictable in passing downs because what do you do in standard downs? You run. And that's really kind of the knock that was on Marcus Arroyo when he was at Oregon is that we knew Justin Herbert was going to hand the ball off on first down. Can't get, you know, the one of the greatest quarterbacks in the conference in years to throw the ball on first down. And that was the knock on Oregon for so long. Well, now John Donovan's got that knock, but we don't know who the quarterback is exactly that's going to lead the way short leash on all the guys for Washington. The defense is really what leads this. The schedule is kind to the Huskies outside of Michigan. The non-conference includes Montana, a coaching transition going on at Arkansas state. Good luck with that. Uh, Washington gets, you know, the projected teams out of the South, the projected seller teams out of the South in Colorado and Arizona. We don't know how that's going to translate offensively. We, we got to get some answers there. There is talent in this in the, in the offensive line for protection. The tight end is fabulous for Washington, but really this team is defined by, by defense and it's going to continue to be defined by defense. Oregon, on the other hand, I have issues with, especially on their win total and you know, I think that's something if you want to guess, like, do you think Tim DeRuiter is an upgrade? The one thing that got me about Oregon, I, I don't know what you think about this, is Joe Moorhead completely changed the offense whenever Tyler Shug was, you know, there was a drop in his production because teams had figured out how to play him. And Joe Moore had completely changed the offense. So I'm not sure what we saw last year is what we're going to get this year. And with Anthony Brown, you have a ceiling at quarterback. So I think both you and I are in the same camp that 
he's going to play through Ohio State, and maybe that's it. These two uh, fantastic freshmen that everyone's been waiting for, are they going to be able to run with the ball here this season? Where you could, if you're a Washington fan, where you're a little hesitant about the direction of the program, is the recruiting has dropped a bit. And this is year four for Cristobal, and he's at three straight top ten recruiting classes. So, I mean, I think if you're looking at these teams in the trajectory, if it continues like this, Oregon's going to go like this, and Washington's not going to be at a similar slope. But these teams are so similar in so many different ways. Like questions at quarterback, they bring a lot of offensive line back. Their defenses are generally going to be solid. I do have questions about the Oregon run defense. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have Thibodeau. They have good. They have good linebackers, but they, lo- they lose both their defensive tackles. Their run defense wasn't good last year, so I do want to see that. But they both teams bring a lot back. <clears throat> you mentioned Otten and, and left tackle Kirkland for Washington are excellent. Washington, they have questions at receivers. That's my biggest. They had a bunch of receivers transfer out. Is someone going to step up as that number one receiver so that teams can't stack the box against them? That's going to be a key to watch. But if you look at it, they have new defensive coordinators. Okay, so scheme change on that side of the ball, even though Washington's probably going to do very similar things. Oregon, new defensive coordinator. And then both teams have the year two offensive coordinator, right? So Moorhead only had, what, six practices last year before the season to implement his offense. Uh, and then Donovan for Washington, you know, his pro style cut, cut short spring and, you know, hardly any prep. So how much of a jump do these quarterbacks in these schemes take in this year? So there's a lot of uncertainty. It's hard to take a lot from what happened last year. Um, Oregon was 118th in turnover margin last year. So you hope that that comes around uh, to get some positive regression for the Ducks. But again, I just don't think that, the gap between these two teams is that big. And ultimately I think when they play at Washington, based on my projections now, and a lot could change. We just went over all the uncertainty for both teams. I think that's basically a coin flip game and more the there's a very high probability that decides the division, especially when you consider that Washington has a much easier conference schedule. Uh, they have a ma- very manageable road schedule, Arizona, Stanford, Colorado, and Oregon state are their road conference games. And we already, Talked about Oregon's tough schedule. So uh, I I, haven't, I didn't play anything on the win totals. I don't mind your Oregon under. Um, I have Washington spot on, but I, I really do like Washington plus 130, plus 135 I got. See if you could find that shop around to win the division um, in what I think is a coin flip. Yeah, so, I mean, to add on to that, I did buy plus 175 on Washington to win the North when it first came out. I would buy it down to plus 130 because of what the point spread is going to be when they go head-to-head against each other. I think with Oregon, I can just – there are so many negative things that I'm not comfortable with. The the ceiling on Brown, like we mentioned, is Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield going to come in and take over for conference play. The Ducks were 98th in offensive havoc last year, and I, and, I, and like I said, we have to give a pass to a lot of these stats in the Pac-12. Panay Sewell opted out of the season, uh, and really all eyes should be on George Mason on the offensive line. He had a lot of miscues in 2020. Moore allowed 15 pressures and 184 dropbacks. And Joe Moorhead essentially changed his style midseason, depending on quarterback that was under center, some of the issues with Moore and the protection. So there is one hole there at Oregon that I, I don't like on that side of the ball. It's the defensive side of the ball where the questions just continue to come. Andy Avalos has taken the head coaching job over at Boise State. Tim DeRuder comes in from Cal. He was co-coordinator with uh, someone we'll talk about later when we get to Cal's preview. But I am not a fan of Tim DeRuiter. It's the bend, don't break system. It's uh, we're going to give you all these yards and we're going to play tough red zone defense. 
And really, it's the rush defense that worries me about Oregon. And, and the pass defense has has caved it on Thibodeau, right? Probably number one overall draft pick for the NFL coming up. Best edge rusher in college football. But if you look at Tim DeRuiter's numbers at Cal with success rate, finishing drives, and havoc, they all decreased every year that he was at Cal. Success rate went from 79th to 5th to 43rd to 111th. Finishing drives, 37th to 18th to 7th, all the way up to 80th. Uh, you know, so things at Cal got progressively worse as he was there, especially in the Havoc department. When Tim DeRuiter first got there, they were 10th. Cal was 10th in the nation in defensive Havoc. And by the time he left, they were 82nd. And it wasn't just a joke that it was 2020. They were 73rd in 2019. So, uh, you know, they got worse over time. And, and they do have, like, the best edge rusher in all of college football. Uh, you know, but Thibodeau also, it has to be mentioned that for all the pub and all the glamour that Thibodeau is going to get, he was pretty bad. He was ranked the second worst tackler in rush defense on, on per PFF. He had a missed tackle rate of 25%, which is crazy to me for somebody that, you know, lines up on the defensive line. So Oregon's going to be tough to beat in passing downs because of what he can do. But, you know, getting them into passing downs, I don't know, because they're, they're giving up a lot of the rush. So we're going to need to see that. The win total is a full win higher than where I project it. Uh, the Ducks travel, like you said, to Utah, Washington, Ohio State. There's three games right there on the road. They're going to be really tough to beat. And if you're going to get this win total on the over, you're you're going to have to get some wins here. Um, Oregon, they have to sweep the remaining schedule that includes UCLA. We're going to get to UCLA, but the Bruins finished the season 25th in standard down success rate. Why is that important? Because I just said, if you can keep Oregon – and standard downs and rushing against them against Thibodeau, who's you know missing 25% of tackles and a front seven that hasn't proved that they can stop the run, then you can beat them and run it up and down the field all night, and not have to worry about passing the ball and having Thibodeau down your throat. So with UCLA being like top 25 and standard down success rate, that makes me think teams like UCLA can beat Oregon. So I have problems with Oregon. I'm taking the under on the total. Yeah, to your point, they were 121st in the nation last year in defensive average third down yards to go, which means the yeah. was the 127th as far as teams had just not long to go because they had so much success on first and second down. All right, let's move on to Stanford. The Stanford Cardinal. Which is in that next year in the North. Stanford on the surface, ready? I can tell you why this win total is crazy and you should bet the over just on this one sentence. Stanford over four, minus 120. They won four straight to end the year last year. And... Four in a row. Now their win total is only four. Uh, but here's the problem. Those four games they won, all four were by five points or less. A uh, lot of flukes in there, and they everything kind of went their way at the end of the season. They lose, and this is David Shaw's uh, 11th year, they lose Davis Mills, who I was a big fan of, who's now in the Texans. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanner McGee, maybe Jack West, but it looks like Tanner McGee is going to so have a new quarterback. They lost a lot of receiving production. You know, Fajoko went to the Cowboys. They lost Weddington, uh, Harrington. They lost their best offensive lineman and all Pac-12 center. And then on the defense, which was bad last year. I mean, their pass is 112th in the nation. The run D was awful. Here's how bad their defense was. They were 114th in QB pressures and 115th in rush D. That's a horrible combination. You're not getting pressure and then you're not stopping the run. And on top of that, they lost their captain linebacker, Robinson. They lost their best pass rusher, and they lost their top defensive back. Uh, um, and by the way, they're going to have to replace Jet Toner, a great kicker for many years. So, uh, you know, you look at this, and then you look at their schedule, and it's an all-power-five schedule. 
Yeah. They have uh, K-State K- they open up with in a, in a coin flip game. They have Notre Dame and they have Vanderbilt on the road. They play a schedule of all power five teams over four minus 120. I'm right on there. I know that you're lower and uh, you're going to tell us why we should bet the under on the tree. Yeah, I'm I'm watching the juice fly up on the over on the Stanford team. And I'm starting to see people overreact to Tanner McKee and uh, one four straight. Well, let's quantify that a little bit. Those four straight wins came by a combined total of 10 points. Uh, they took a massive dip in second order win total for me from a power rating perspective. And think about what the Stanford offense has been and why it was so successful before. Because of their explosiveness factor, because of Bryce Love, because of Davis Mills, because of KJ Costello, uh, because of the perfectly uh, can't defend tip drill that their wide receivers and tight ends did to everybody. It was just, it was frustrating to look at their stats week in and week out, place a bet against them. And all they would do is a damn tip drill with these tree receivers that were literally the size of trees. So we think that era of football is gone. Now, you know, they fall outside the rank of 90th in both rushing and passing uh, expected points. That's complemented by a rank of 93rd and finishing drives on offense. Uh, and listen, they're just not moving very fast. They're one of the slowest teams in the conference, and that is bad news in a conference full of teams that can get points on the board lightning quick. So, you know, TARP indicates 43% of the offense is back, and really it's just Tanner McKee. Uh, Stanford finished the season uh, four and two, but there's going to be a lot of holes to fill on the offensive line. Uh, Drew Dahlman, Foster Serrell, they've moved on. Dahlman was the highest rated run blocker and took all of 437 snaps at center. Nobody else took a snap at center last year. They got to replace that. The rest of the line was solid. Uh, they allowed just six sacks, so that is good news. Uh, a quarter of the pressures came from guard Branson Bragg. So, you know, the, the line is solid. It's going to be fine. But the rest of it, there's just the explosiveness is gone. The backfield, the defense isn't much better in the TARP department either. 55% returns. You know, Curtis Robinson led the team in tackles. Malik Antoine led in pass breakups. Both those players are gone. They're ranked 119th in defensive habit. They're not taking balls away. They're not stopping people. And I think it's important to say, like, well, who do they beat, right, on this schedule? And everybody's pointing to that Vanderbilt game. Well, Kansas State, I, I'm already hearing love over Kansas State. Name a player on this defense is stopping Deuce Vaughn from explosive plays. I can't find one. I, I, I'm being honest. Like, I cannot find anybody on this Stanford defense that's going to be able to contain Deuce Vaughn, Skylar Thompson, completely healthy. Kansas State completely healthy is different than Kansas State beat up. Uh, Vanderbilt is scheduled to be the clear cut victory on this schedule. Uh, but that game comes on the road against Clark Lee. Uh, I, we, I, we, we are Clark Lee believers. I mean, uh, school of Mike Elko turned the Notre Dame defense around the reasons why they made the marches to the college football playoff are because of Clark Lee. And, you know, you have to wonder what they're going to do on offense. That's a good question. But then again, can Stanford do if, if Vanderbilt is playing, a, you know, above level defense on day one against this Stanford offense, they're going to be able to shut them down. I don't know why Vanderbilt isn't a live dog in that game. And everybody assumes that it's an automatic win. The trees, they just, you know, like you said, they don't have a single group of five program. They, I mean, they have their regular bye weeks. A lot of colleges use the week with Georgia Southern or what Saban calls, you know, the 10 horn <laughs> ran through like shit through a 10 horn. You all don't remember the Georgia Southern game, do you? I don't think we had a guy on that field that didn't play in the NFL, and about four or five of them were first-round draft picks. And they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. 
10 horn weekend doesn't exist for Stanford this year. There's no real bye weeks except the actual bye week. So I'm definitely on the under with Stanford. The explosiveness, the tip drills, it's not there anymore. Success rate is gone. There's no havoc makers on this defense whatsoever. And everybody's basing their hopes on a freshman quarterback that, uh, I mean, frankly, doesn't have any pieces around him to support the love for this. So, yeah, count me all out on the trees. Yeah, and Shaw said he's just so conservative. So Shaw said he's yeah. going to go back to many more two to three tight end stats, running the ball more. I know Kansas State and Stanford's D were not good last year, um, but that's a noon kick to start the year. I could see that game being like 20 to 17 ugliness. I might look at that under. It's probably in the 50s. I didn't even look at it. All right, let's move on to Cal. The Golden Bears of Cal. Cal win total under six and a half minus 145 or under six around even money. Wilcox year five at the helm. He's 21 and 21. So, you know, if you go based on that and the win total is six, Cal's going to end right on six. He's been a 500 coach in his four years there. You know, he's not been 500 is Chase Garbers. He's Cal's been a lot better when he's playing and healthy. He hasn't always been healthy, but Cal's 14 and five when he plays at least a half. And as you saw, Wilcox is 21 and 21 overall. So can he stay healthy? Can Christopher Brown stay healthy and regain his old form? That's a big question because their their receivers leave a lot to be desired. They were 123rd in pass yards per attempt. They don't really have a field stretcher. The strength of the team is probably their linebackers with dang good but they lost their top two defensive linemen. Losing Brett Johnson in spring is huge. He had hip surgery. He's one of their best defenders. They lost Bynum, their cornerback, who was drafted in the fourth round. So there's some questions on this defense. It has lost a lot of players in the secondary over the past few years to the NFL. You look at their schedule, their three toughest Pac-12 North opponents, Washington, Oregon, and Stanford, they play all on the road. Um, so th- there's, you know, this offense, it's just, ugh. I mean, it's ugly to watch. And last year their offense averaged 122 yards per game fewer than their opponents allowed on average. That was second worst in the nation. So it was just really bad. Yeah. And if Garbers isn't healthy, there's no real quarterback depth here. If you want to look at plus what their second team, all pack 12 offensive lineman Saffle, he retired recently due to medical reasons. Um, so I know that there's some experience here with some super seniors. And yeah, if you want to make a case for Cal, you say Musgrave second year offensive coordinator, does the system tick up and is, you know, there's production tick up in the second year of a system, as long as Garber stays healthy. Um, I look at this schedule. I make this right around six, a, a tad below. Um, I, they're probably going to be right on ball eligible, right on the fringe of ball eligibility towards the end of the year. I have nothing with Cal. Um, what do you got here? Yeah, mathematically, the number I have comes up above six, and it would say that you should take an over bet here. But at the same time, there's so many questions that I'm not going to be investing my money into a program like this when you know you look at the number of things that have happened here. So Tim DeRuder takes off for Oregon as the new defensive coordinator. He had co-duties with Peter Sermon for the last couple of years. Peter Sermon will now be the sole defensive coordinator. Uh, So we'll see what the difference is there. We'll see if some of that success rate comes back, some of that habit comes back with DeRuder gone, or maybe does it get worse? I guess we'll find out pretty quick. But with Justin Wilcox, you would expect that the defense will return. This was a team that was just decimated 
by COVID, decimated by injury. You can't look at anything that Cal did last year and take it as a variable into this season. I This is one of the few teams where, I mean, I'll take little things from teams last year and kind of look at it, but considering that, you know, Sermon is now the only coordinator, when I look at the offensive side of the ball, Musgrave, Bill Musgrave was the new offensive coordinator last year, but he made a statement that said, my the offense is going to completely change because what I did last year was a complete change of the playbook to modify to the health of the of the personnel that we have on the offense. So the offense that was ran last year wasn't what he wanted to run, and it was based upon what he had going on with COVID and uh, injuries in, in the offensive line with Garbers with everything else. So I kind of wipe all these numbers away from Cal. I I just the defense is going to come back to what it, it has been before. Uh, the off there's super seniors all over this program, so I'm not worried about Cal falling off a cliff. As to where I really have problems with what Stanford has been. I mean, you're going to 12 and 13, you know, three tight end sets in a conference that lives and dies on getting up and down the field at a lightning pace. You know, Chip Kelly the way that he wants to run the ball. So. Yeah, but you know, Cal can't really do that either. They cannot, they can't, they got to find a receiver that can stretch the field. They no, can't but they can play defense. Fair. Yeah. I mean, they can, they can, they, they have a lot of havoc. They play a lot of defense. And remember, we were big backers of betting on Cal weekly in 18 and 19. And what killed us, turnovers. Managed four or five turnovers every time. So if we get efficiency out of Chase Garbers, this is a play on team every week. We don't know how many points they're going to score, but hopefully they can limit their opponents. Like I said, I'm not rushing to go and bet Cal futures, but I'm also not taking last year and applying it and saying uh, this team is definitely an under team when they got so many super seniors and they had so much missing from COVID and such a small sample set from last year. Uh, I think one thing that does bother me on the schedule is listen, you can beat Arizona and Sacramento state is, was picked number one for the big sky, the the media for the big sky. I want to get credentialed into that, but uh, the media for the big sky uh, has Sacramento state uh, first in that conference. So that's not really, you know, an easy game for Cal, I would say, by any means. I mean, Sac State's beaten teams uh, in the Pac-12 before. Nevada is going to be a test with quarterback Carson Strong. So, uh, and the Mountain West in general is going to be improved. But Stanford, Washington State, Colorado, those are coin flip games. They have to win all these games I just mentioned to go over the win total. I just don't, I, they can do it. I'm just not running to the window to buy it. Fair enough. Let's move on to the Beavers, uh, Oregon State. The Oregon State Beavers. Let's go, Beavs. Oregon State win total under five, minus 125. This is year four for Jonathan Smith, who I think has the program slowly moving in the right direction. They were two and five last year, but at least they were competitive. Uh, no bowl since 2013. So if you <laughs> think they're going to go over here, that would, this would be their first bowl appearance in eight years. Uh, there are quarterback health questions here. I think the strength of their offense is their offensive line. Uh, and because they lose Jefferson. Jamar Jefferson was a stud at running back. If you look at Oregon State last year, number two in the country in EPA per rush. So they were they weren't a great throwing team. They were just handed off with a great offensive line and a great back, and they had a lot of success. Now they lose Jefferson. Can another back come in and step up? The defensive side, they do lose Rashad, who had a down year last year, but their linebackers are still really strong with Roberts and AHM and Spites. But their D just doesn't force turnovers. 30 turnovers in the past 31 games. That's the third lowest in FBS. They don't get any tackles for loss. 118th in tackle for loss last year. And they got to replace two cornerbacks and they'll really miss right. So I have questions about their defense outside of their linebackers, which can, you know, who can only do so much. And then I look at their schedule. You know, their defense does bring a lot back. 23 of the 27 
of their two deep come back, but you know, you might have two freshman D backs starting and they just, they're not getting a lot of havoc. They don't get a lot of pressure. And this is transfer you. They might be starting 12, 12 transfers, not all this year, but over the past couple of years, Smith's really used the transfer portal. But then I look at their schedule and they have five Pac-12 road games. So every team plays nine conference games. Some have five road games, some have four. Oregon State has five Pac-12 road games and then four tough home games. So the schedule is not kind. Uh, Oregon State under five minus 125. What do you got here? Yeah, for some reason, Jonathan Smith is using the transfer portal uh, for his team, but uh, Jed Fish down at uh, Arizona is not. So we'll get to that one later. But, you know, the final record was two and five last year, but this was a big season for the Jonathan Smith era. Why? Because he beat Oregon. And that's, a, a you know, it's, they could lose every game and beat Oregon. And that's going to keep him employed for quite a while. When you look at it, you know, whether you want to slice it from TARP, which is transfer activity and returning production, or if you want to slice it as returning starters at 10 uh, and TARP is at 88%, listen, that's a really tough player to, 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 to try and replace when it comes to Jamar Jefferson. He was a human first down. When you look at his numbers, he averaged 6.5 yards per attempt. 19 runs over 10 yards, and he created 27 missed tackles in a short season. So now uh, Deshaun Fenwick, he's going to try to pick up the load. Uh, He comes in from the transfer portal from South Carolina. If you dig a little bit deep into that sophomore's numbers, he had a quality 5.5 yards on 54 attempts with an average of 3.5 yards after contact. Now, whether he's playing in, you know, in junk time or whatever for South Carolina, averaging 3.5 yards after contact is quality. So we'll see if he can, you know, get the Jamar Jefferson, uh, uh, keep that train rolling on the offense. Uh, and listen, you know, they return a, a top set of wide receivers. They they do have players on the outside they can throw to. And the quarterback, I mean, if you're, if you're betting preseason on who's going to be the starting quarterback, this is a good one for you between Tristan Gebbia, uh, Chance Nolan, uh, the Colorado transfer, Sam Neuer. I mean, Sam Neuer made us a, a little bit of money last year. And I think the thing that gives Tristan Gebbia more of a leg up than the rest of them is his arm strength. He's going to be the one that's going to be able to pass and hit those receivers. As for Chance Nolan and Sam Neuer, if you look at what they did on designed runs and scramble yards, they're kind of the same player when you take Colorado's numbers versus what Nolan did in Oregon State uh, when he played last year. So, you know, we'll see who wins that quarterback battle. But all these things I say about the offense and the quarterbacks and who all returns and transfers coming in from South Carolina, all of that is orbiting around the biggest problem on this team, which is the rush defense. They do return a high percentage of TARP, but does that matter when you rank 119th in success rate or 118th in havoc? Is it good to get all of these players back? Because you may get the same kind of production in the numbers Nashon Wright led the team in pass breakups, but he's moved on. Line, linebacker Avery Roberts was the highest graded defender in 2020, and he's going to look to stabilize the defense, but they were 112th in line yards. If you're bringing the same players back, you better have some strength and conditioning coaches around there getting them better because, you know, they were 92nd in coverage. So it doesn't matter if we talk about what they were in standard downs or passing downs. This Oregon State defense just didn't do much. So, uh, you know, that's it, something they're going to have to overcome. They're not going to have to outscore people and hope that the clock doesn't get drained against them. Uh, and it's been a problem through the entire Jonathan Smith era. The, the rush defense continues to be a problem in Corvallis, and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, you know, their win total is uh, – I project them at 5.9. Uh, there's plenty of reasons to to bet the over on the Beavers despite losing the best running back in the conference. But early home games against Hawaii and Idaho, uh, you know, Oregon State should be double digits there. And then there's just a massive, then there's just a massive number of coin flip games against Washington State, against Cal, against Colorado. 
until the defense shows rapid improvement and especially in success rate and in havoc, there's just no resistance against a PAC 12 schedule that has USC and Utah from the South division. Those teams are going to be able to go wild, whether it's the air raid in USC or whether it's a ton of ways that Utah can beat you. I just don't see where Oregon state is sneaking up on anybody here. And that defense is not stopping anyone. So no play here on Oregon state. Yeah, I lean under, but my number's too close, so it's no play for me. The Oregon State hopes that Minnesota transfer Joe uh, Shad, defensive tackle, can help them, but they just they're, they're just small and they, they just don't get pressure up front and they get pushed around. You're right. And then on the flip side, they were such a great rushing team last year. I mean, Jefferson was awesome. Like I said, they were number two in EPA per rush. So we were talking about their quarterback and receivers. If their rushing production falls off a cliff and they're not able to fill the void left by Jefferson, then, you know, teams aren't having to load the box up, try to stop Jefferson. And then all of a sudden does your quarterback then quarterback play suffer as well. Um, so they were definitely benefiting from a lot of attention on Jefferson. Uh, but I agree pass there for me as well. Uh, let's finish up the North with a play that I do have in Washington state, the Washington state Cougars under six, Minus 120, a lot of books. I found an under six and a half, minus 150. I think a points bet. It was either a points bet or I'll have to put it in the app. I prefer under six and a half, minus 150 over under six, minus 120. I don't see how this team gets to seven wins. I don't think they get to six, but there's a lot I don't like about Washington State this year. You know, number one, it is this, you can't really put too much stock into, like we said, a lot of teams last year in the Pac-12, but especially Washington State, you know, Nick Rolovich coming over, implementing his run and shoot offense, which is, you know, it's completely different than the air raid. You know, one receivers have pre-designed routes. The other, they're trying to find space. You know, your spacing is different with your offensive linemen. He also brought in a new defensive coordinator. They moved to a four, two, five. So just a lot of changes in a year, like last in his first year, it's very tough. So, but, you know, looking at this roster this year, who are, I know I just think that it's going to take a little longer. I know it's year two for Rolovich, but really it's like year one because how much could it do last year? And it was such drastic changes and they couldn't really get a lot done last year. They lose Calvin and Bacon receivers who leave the program. Bell, their stud Y in the slot, he got hurt. He's out for the year. Huge loss. I don't know who they can throw to. I get that they have, you know, Max Borgie, their running backs are okay. And then you move to the quarterback position. I mean, Delora, who ran the run and shoot in high school, so he has experience doing so, he missed the entire spring with a DUI suspension. I think he just got it dismissed, but he missed the whole spring. And then you got Jared Guantano from Tennessee, who we hate, who's just (laughs) terrible. He doesn't really fit the run and shoot. He's there. Rocky Top Revenge. Uh, And then you got uh, Cannon, who's who's also there. And it's going to be a three-way competition up until maybe the, the week before their first game. So no quarterback really has emerged yet. They don't know who QB one is. And I don't know who they're throwing the ball to the receivers are just, I mean, it's a mess right now. And then the, on the defensive side, it was a disaster last year. And I think it's just going to take some time to transition to that four, two, five, their linebackers are good. Woods can ball, but the, I mean, they've had a, a bunch of safeties transferred. Their depth is really questionable there. Um, their past team was just atrocious last year. I don't see that changing. I think that's going to, really be their downfall and 27 percent of opponent plays last year went for 10 plus yards that was second worst in all of college football i mean teams are just chunking it all down the field 
And they had no explosiveness on their own. They were 125th in explosiveness on offense. So a lot of changes going on. I mean, when they went from 22% rush two years ago to 42%. They're changing their splits. And there's a lot going on. They got five. And then you look at their schedule. They got five road games. And I think that they're start, they're figuring things out, right, with all these changes. So it might take them, you know, say they start to figure some things out midway through the season. Well, their finish is brutal. Right, they finish BYU, then at Arizona State, then at Oregon, then they get a break with Arizona at home, and then they finish at Washington. Five Pac-12 road games. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I, there's a lot I don't like about this Washington State team. I don't see how they could get the seven. So under six and a half minus 150, I really like. And then one last point is Nick Rolovich is, didn't go to media day because he's <laughs> said he's not getting vaccinated, right? So does that – and this is all speculation – does that translate to his players? And do they have a low vaccination rate? And now are they at a higher risk of, have, of losing games, like player games, the amount of players that have to be held out because of COVID outbreaks? So that's something else to consider as well. So uh, Washington State under six and a half minus 150. Under six minus up to minus 120 is fine too. Uh, but I prefer paying that extra 30 cents if you can find that six and a half. So I'm going uh, under on Wazoo. The Wazoo Cougs. I think it's a great play. And, and there's a lot of questions that I have same similar to what you have. And, and, you know, from a defensive perspective, Jihad Woods is the only one that was putting up havoc numbers and tackles for loss, pass breakups and sacks that no one else was bringing the boom. No one else was taking the ball away and and teams were just able to do whatever they wanted against the Cougars, which put everything on the run and shoot. And, and Jaden Delore is back, you know, a freshman at the time. And, and now he knows the system, but you know, missed out on spring. And, and Jer- if Jared Garantano's running the run and shoot and throwing this many times a game, I can tell you which way I'll be leaning to bet every single week. Uh, you know, Delora did end up finishing 24th in the nation and passing success rate. So that is a positive. But He's a talented kid. A very talented kid. And I love watching him. But I think something needs to be addressed. You know, Mac- Max Borgie didn't really – he didn't play much last season, uh, injury. And before that, I think he had 16 touchdowns for the team two years ago and was just – a monster part of this offense with Mike Leach. And the big talk was, we're getting Max back. We're getting Max back. And I thought to myself, well, how does he integrate into the Nick Rolovich offense? Uh, they had a rush rate of just 41% last season. And, and if you kind of look at past Nick Rolovich's offenses, by the way, 41%, extremely low for a rush rate. If you look at past Nick Rolovich offenses, that's about par for the course. So you can't expect Max Borgie to be getting a whole bunch of, you know, rushing attempts. So then you look at the passing game and that's where I went and did a little bit of a deep dive research at Hawaii in 2019, the leading halfback receiver caught just six passes, six passes, Dayton for Ruda, who had 10 the year before in 2018, we're talking over a two year span, the lead running back halfback to catch passes, got 16 catches in a two year span in two successful years under Nick Rolovich. When Rolovich got to the island, he was not winning games at all. He was covering games, but he was not winning games. It took a long time for Hawaii got where they were, where we were betting on Cole McDonald every single week. So, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with what is potentially their most explosive player on offense when the system is not designed to give him his share. So that worries me about this team. The schedule, you mentioned it. I mean, listen, I think there's four wins on this Portland State Utah State under new transition, a new head coach coming in from Arkansas State. The Arkansas State system is now Utah State. Uh, we'll see how quickly, uh, you know, Anderson can get that going. But Arizona, Stanford, those should be wins within conference. Those two teams don't have the offense to hang with Washington State. That's why, you know, they should be considered wins. But once you get to four, where are you going to find the other three 
you know, to get up over this win total of the coin flip games against Oregon State and BYU. I mean, there's massive holes on the defensive side of the ball for both of those teams. So Washington State could potentially win those and get to six wins. But name the seven. I think that's their ceiling. I think that's their ceiling. Yeah. Name the seven. I would would pay most of the time minus 156 and a half versus minus 126 anyway. But especially here, I just – I can't find – the seven one. I can see everything goes right. Delora's in there. He's balling out. They can get the six wins, get the bowl eligible. I think it'll be a successful season in Rollbridge's second year. Um, but I, I can't I can't get to seven. No. And I and I think that this is the one instance where you would pay juice on a six and a half. Or I, I'm just gonna be patient. I mean, the Stanford number keeps going up. I don't get it. I'm going to wait until the week before the season starts and hit the under. Uh, you know, there's some juice coming in on Washington State on the over. I don't get it. I'll wait. Cause I don't see how you win a seventh game on this schedule. Uh, and there's just, so there's so many questions. Rolovich is style. He doesn't want to veer from it. So we'll see what they do with their best, you know, explosive player. So definitely I support that on the under all the way. All right, let's move on to good stuff with the North. Let's move on to the PAC 12 South and the PAC 12 South really interesting. I think it's the most interesting power five division this year. It's a three team race. Up top to most people and to odds makers, right? You have USC, Utah, and Arizona State. Uh, they're going to be, you know, if I look at the odds right now, USC is going to be somewhere around plus 160, plus 170. Arizona State's around like plus 230, plus 250. It differs at books. And then Utah's right there as well. And then there's an uh, interesting sleeper anywhere from six to one to seven to one in UCLA, who we'll get to. And then I think there's two teams that have no shot of winning it in Colorado and Arizona. I'm going to go to you for Arizona, and then we'll spend the majority of our time on the four teams at the top. The Arizona Wildcats. Arizona, I'll tell you, the win total is over two and a half minus 125. And this is a team that is just in bad shape. They overhauled everything. Um, They bring in Jeff Fish. They bring in Don Brown, the blitz doctor. Solve your problems with aggression, okay? Sit there and go, oh, we're going to read this pull. We're going to run up there. Fuck that. Let's go. So we're going to try to be very aggressive on defense. Um, major questions all over this roster. I'll throw it to you, and you can tell us if there's any value on Arizona in the futures market. Uh, yeah, aggressive with who on this roster? I mean, this roster is something to behold. So the good news, there's some good news, and there's a ton of non-positive news. Jed Fish takes over as the head coaching gig after the Sumlin reign finally comes to an end. Fish has pivoted between NFL. That's the good news right there. That's, That's the it, good news. right? Uh, never came <laughs> I mean, Fish at least had a stint as UCLA's offensive coordinator, uh, and he turned into an interim coach for two games. Uh, he, he, he beat Cal as the UCLA interim, uh, didn't cover the game. And then, you know, he lost in the cactus bowl against Kansas state. And why do I remember that game so well from 2017? Cause I had a ton of money on Jedfish and Devin monster. And if you remember that game, Jedfish against Kansas state and Bill Snyder went into halftime 17, seven and Devin monster had thrown two bombs, a 50 yarder, a 70 yarder. And, and, and it, it was like, Casey Thompson in the Alamo Bowl last year. Like, all of a sudden, you thought Devin Monster maybe could win the Heisman next year, and UCLA was back, and Jed Fish, look what he's done to Bill Snyder. Yeah, well, they didn't score another point in the second half, and Snyder put up 28 straight, and that was the end of Jed Fish, of hearing from him before he went to the NFL. So I think something to keep an eye on is Arizona first halves versus second halves. 
because Jed Fish went to school uh, when it came to halftime adjustments and he got just dominated by Snyder. So I think it'll be interesting to see if the game plan, if the script in Arizona in the first half of the game is different from what the results are in the second half. So I'm keeping that in my back pocket. There's a decent amount returning on both sides of the ball, but these numbers, right? 122nd defensive havoc, 120th and offensive finishing drives. Like, what am I supposed to do with that when you did nothing in the transfer portal and your roster is predominantly extremely young, undersized, and this is a conference built on speed and there's not a whole ton of that either. So, you know, Jordan McLeod comes in from South Florida. This is where I started, like, you know, my head started spinning because I lost so much money on turnovers from Jordan McLeod at South Florida that I couldn't keep track. So, uh, he comes in from South Florida. Uh, the stats from the Bulls were, were beefed up by four TDs in his final game against Central Florida. So you would look at his TD to interception ratio and you'd say, oh, Jordan McLeod is a great pickup. But if you go a little bit deeper, five big-time throws on the season, 12 turnover-worthy plays. His average depth of target was nine yards. This is not a good quarterback, and Arizona's going to find that out pretty quick. Uh, it's the dink and dunk with, uh, you know, no teeth behind it whatsoever. There are some rushing yards from a cloud, uh, but you have to know uh, when you look at those rushing yards, you see the guy in the triple digits. You have to realize that it was 30 designed yards and it was 163 from scrambling. So McLeod created just eight missed tackles when he did leave the pocket. Uh, and more importantly, he averaged 2.6 yards per carry. Jordan McLeod is not the answer here. At quarterback, you know, the last Sagarin rating makes Arizona about a 20 point favorite over uh, northern Arizona. So, you know, should win that game. We'll see if they do. But once you get past that, if this team gets over three wins, it's going to have to be wins over BYU, who returns the lowest amount of experience in the country compared to anybody. And then San Diego State. Now, the Aztecs are and that, B- and that BYU games to open the year in, in Las Vegas. Yeah, and I know BYU loses a lot, but Arizona's restarting everything. Yeah, and I, I think that's important because if Arizona is going to go over this win, you're going to hear other people do college football podcasts that we're going to take the under the over because it's going to be decided real early on Arizona. If they don't get these first three games, it is truly over before they get to conference play. BYU completely reloading, but I, I my opinion, there's a coaching mismatch going on here. And, and if you look at the other game, San Diego State, I mean, the Aztecs are offensively challenged and Stuggy's probably tired of me taking overs on them. Uh, and they do lose their top three tacklers, but Brady Hoke on that team gets all, uh, just a ton of havoc back. They can take the ball away in so many different ways. So I'm not really up on this Arizona win total. I don't know how they get to three. I think they're going to drop some of these first three games. They can't win any of their conference games. They are currently lined as 11-point underdogs to BYU in, in, in the first game of the season. If that's the line against BYU, a game that is one of your only hopes to get over two and a half, they're going to be tough sledding here getting to three. I would love to find an under three juiced. They're they're not winning four games, and they have. I mean, they arguably a top what six or seventh hardest schedule in the country. I mean, it's a brutal schedule. So sorry, that's enough Arizona talk. Let's move <laughs> on. Let's go to the top of the South. We'll get to this potential sleeper UCLA. I have to recover the first three. I'm going to make a case for Arizona State. I'll let you make a case uh-huh. for Utah. Let's start with USC. The USC Trojans. All three of these teams have a win total of eight and a half. Juice will vary, but they're all eight and a half. And USC goes to Arizona State, but hosts Utah. Utah goes to USC, but hosts Arizona State. So we, these are going to be the most important games 
of the season. I believe Utah at least has a bye before that USC game. Before you tip your hand, do, do you feel like this is like a buffet, the South? Like I, I, I wake up some days and I love this part of the, of the South. I like this team from the South. Like I feel like I wake up and every other day there's a new team that I like. I mean, it, there's four teams here that we're going to talk about and some days I tilt one way, some days I tilt the other. I like a lot of teams in this, except for the first one we're going to talk about, which is how can you get behind yep. Clay Helton, right? Yeah, Clay Helton, year eight. Uh, the argument for USC, I mean, last year they got so they came back, they had a bunch of fortunate wins late. The argument for USC improvement is, you know, Slovis wasn't really healthy, and he found ways to win games late, but just didn't look right. So if he's healthy now, we know USC is going to have weapons for days. They always do. They lost St. Brown, but, you know, you got London and McCoy back. You add uh, Nixon from Colorado. They're going to have weapons. So if Slovis is healthy, does, you know, the air raid under Graham Harrell take off even more this year? But the offensive line, there's a lot of questions with the offensive line that I'm worried about. And they lost Vera Tucker, their best offensive line, their left tackle, who went to the NFL. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you would say, all right, it's year two of Todd Orlando. So are we going to see improvement there? It's an aggressive, it's, you know, it's going to be Todd Orlando. It's going to be an aggressive defense. Can they repeat the turnover success they've had? They do need to replace back 12 defensive player of the year, Hufanga, their safety. And, you know, they have some players, Corey Foreman, a defensive end, a freshman freak. Drake Jackson's a player. You know, they, they lost their, their best corner. I think Griffin is now, I think, signed with the Bills, unrestricted free agent. So they lost some talent on the defense, but there's talent there. What can Orlando do? Can they repeat the turnover success? I'm not sure. So you do avoid, they do avoid Oregon and Washington out of the North. That's a good thing. I, but I'm just, I just can't get behind this offensive line, Helton. You know, they, they have a good special teams corner that they got from Kansas State, but too many special teams mistakes. Just not a well-coached team. Penalties were a nightmare. Clay Helton has done it again. And they just couldn't run the ball last year. That's a big problem. Dude, 3.2 yards per carry. Got, they were very lucky. I'm just, I'm not sold on them. The talent's there on offense. If the offensive line can get it together, which I'm not sold on. But this is a team that when you said, yeah, you wake up and you say, oh, well, I can see this team. Oh, you, UCLA is intriguing. It's the plus 750. I haven't had that feeling once with USC. I think the win total is about right. I mean, I'm at like 8.3. Um, so no play for me. But uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the Trojans? What happened in the Pac-12 championship game last season? is exactly what I think is going to happen this season. It's a microcosm of how to attack USC. Now, like we said, USC doesn't run the ball very much. 41% rush rate, air raid offense. Graham Harrell wants to get Kadon Slovis's arm going. And what did we just say about Oregon? How do you beat them? You keep running the ball and you stay out of passing down so that Kavadon Thibodeau isn't all over your quarterback. So what does USC come out and do? They beat Oregon by 115 total yards, but they lose the game in the Pac-12 championship because they decided to throw and Oregon just rushes three and drops eight. Everybody is rushing three and dropping eight. Arkansas is doing it against Ole Miss. Arkansas is doing it against Alabama. I mean, offensive coordinators are that run the air raid or some version of, of the spread and space with four or five wide receivers are going to have to figure out how to play these defenses they rush three and drop eight. And if Graham Harrell doesn't figure it out and he just thinks that Kadon Slovis is going to be fine the rest of the season, then Thibodeau, players like Thibodeau on the edge are going to come for you and you're not going to win that much. So I think what happened in the Pac-12 championship game is what every team in the Pac-12 South is going to do. If you look at what they have on offense, they have to replace, you know, some of the production that they have. But Brew McCoy, as of, you know, like within the last week, he's not going to be on the team. 
Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be on the team after a, a domestic violence incident. Uh, he has yeah. been separated yeah, from the team. Will Harrell look to establish the run at a higher rate? We, you know, considering that, probably not. The defense returned 69%. You mentioned some of their players. Todd Orlando, they finished 28th in defensive havoc. You know, that's where it's good that you have Todd Orlando to do that, but now you have to replace some of that production and you can't give up explosive plays, uh, which got him into a lot of trouble when he was there at Texas and and playing defensive coordinator there for, for Tom Herman. Uh, you know, my USC projection is lower than most uh, considering, you know, what they have done on the field, success rate, Clay Helton himself, special teams, uh, game clock management, everything you can throw in there does not make you want to back USC. Uh, you know, there's a downgrade in second order win total. They got a little bit lucky in some of their games. Uh, their returning experience is around national average, which is like 76% this year. Uh, and the age of the super senior, I mean, it's it's not great what they brought back. Uh, like UCLA and Utah is just loaded with super seniors. Uh, Arizona State and the defense, too. Uh, the first five games of the season are penciled in to be wins. San Jose State, Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State, Colorado. What you hear about Kadon Slovis and Graham Harrell is that they have to get the air raid in sync. They don't like to take bye weeks. They like it all to stay in rhythm. So the schedule sets up pretty well for the first five, and you're going to need that before you go into dates with Utah and Notre Dame. And the biggest question for me is, you know, if they can get around what defenses are doing to them, uh, you know, Notre Dame, Arizona State, Colorado has one of the best set of linebackers in this conference. So who are you going to pass against on this schedule after that? The win total is a no play. The futures are priced out, in my opinion. Uh, there's more value and the three other teams that we're about to talk about than this USC team. And frankly, I, if Harold, they've wanted Harold's head on a plate for a while. And if he doesn't change the offense to run a little bit more, I mean, they have no rushing success rate whatsoever. It, it could just, it could be something that catches on fire and, and spreads to Clay Helton in his hot seat again. So we'll see. Yeah. It really all starts up front. Like they're just not getting any push. I and mean, they added Ingram from Texas. They have some talent. USC is always going to have talented skill position players, but all right, let's move on. I'll, I'm going to make a case for Arizona State. The Arizona State Sun Devils. When I played, I played Arizona State. I, t- I found 150 to one. I took a shot on out in circuit just for a couple hundred bucks for shits. But I played them plus 500 to win the Pac-12. The reason I went instead of the division. Now, I think that you're going to talk to me about Utah division, which mm-hmm. I don't hate. But I'm lower on Oregon and, Wa- and Washington. So, like, I think that there's more value on playing them to win the, the conference overall because I'm, I'm lower on Oregon and Washington in the market. But if you could find a five, a, a plus 500 on them, I think it's worth a shot. Now there's a lot of uncertainty with their, the investigation, you know, they had a, uh, one of their, I think their tight end coach who was put on administrative leave by the president. We don't know what's going to happen. I think everything's going to happen at the end of this year and it's going to have to be blown up, but we don't know. Maybe there's a bowl ban. Maybe they can't go to the postseason, but they maybe they can still win the Pac-12. Maybe that's a rallying point for them. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. But just looking at this team, that's all hard to project. Looking at this team, um, the defense is loaded. I mean, and it's deep. They're too deep. It's talented. This is arguably a top 20 defense, maybe a top 10 secondary. Uh, and, and there's talent, extreme talent at every level. You got Lole in the defensive line, Robertson at linebacker. And then I, for my money, it's the best corner duo uh, in the Pac-12 with Lucas and Jones. So I love the defense. Uh, it's, it's weird to say with Arizona State, like you start with the defense. And you go to the offense, the running game is going to be there. You know, with Tranum and, and White and their offensive line returns a lot. 
it all comes down to Jaden Daniels and who has a ton of talent. This is his third year. Is he going to take that next step? You know, his beautiful deep ball, he can make all the throws, but it's consistency and accuracy, consistent accuracy. Is he going to take that next step? And then there are questions about who's going to step up as, you know, the number one receiver for Arizona State. So the passing game is if if they can figure that out this year, the sky is the limit for this team because if the passing game is clicking and Daniels, you know, he can do a lot with his legs too, but if he's accurate, teams have to respect the passing game. They can't load the box to try to stop this very dynamic Arizona State rushing attack. And then this offense is going to move the ball, and we know their defense is going to be excellent. Um, people don't talk enough about this Arizona State defense. It's going to be great this year. Yeah. So uh, I'm really buying in the upside of Jaden Daniels and him realizing it and this Arizona State defense. I think that they have the easiest Pac-12 schedule any team. Um, I know they have to go to Utah and Washington, but overall, if you look at their schedule, you know they host USC. They're going to have to go to Utah. So who knows what's going to happen with that Utah-USC-Arizona State triangle. If someone steals one on the road, that's probably going to be the difference. But I'm buying the upside on this team. 25 years ago, by the way, Rose Bowl. Maybe 25 years later, there's some magic. Last year, they lost two games that they, they should have won. Just two late collapses, and then they beat. They just rolled their last two games bad teams. I think they put up 158,000 points on Arizona. But I just – Daniels takes that next step. This team, to me, is the best team in the Pac-12. I can also see the case for Utah. Uh, I'll let you respond and then go into the Utes. Well, uh, you know, when I was uh, picking out the helmets I wanted to have behind me for all of our video and our podcast this year, Arizona State was number one on the list. And and by God, I went and got the the, the fork helmet and I, I proudly put it up there because Arizona State was a team that I wanted to buy. And then things have changed. I, I think we'll, we should start with probably the off-field stuff before we get to the on-field stuff. And it's not that I'm you know down on Arizona State. I still love them as much as I did when the season concluded last year. And I love Jaden Daniels who is now using his name, image, likeness to represent Venetia Pizza in Tempe, Arizona. Now, if Venetia... On location at Venezia's Pizza with the owner, Dominic. So I know it's not Venezia's, it's Venezia's. Venezia's. That's the most important thing to take away from today. Now, if Venezia is a pizza place, Venezia's, if you don't know what that is, that is the pizza place that's represented in Breaking Bad uh, by Walter White when Walter White... You know, he's trying to get back with Skyler and she turns him down. He had dipping sticks and uh, he went in the driveway and threw that pizza up on the roof. And if you do a little digging, it's, it's quite funny. The hundreds of people that showed up to that house and started throwing the pizza up on the roof. It's been a real action, <laughs> real problem. Oh, hey, <laughs> pizza. <laughs> well, I'm making dinner. It's even better the next day. Huh? Got dipping sticks. But so yeah, Venetia's is uh, is sponsoring uh, Jaden Daniels and. Well, let, wait a minute. Let me say this first before you keep going. If you're gonna, you're not gonna go with Arizona State, and you're fading my pick here. I would say, number one, tread lightly. Number two, say my name. <laughs> and how about number three? You clearly don't know who you're talking to. So let me clue you in. I am not in danger. I am the danger. <laughs> Jaden Daniels is the danger. This Arizona State defense is the danger. I hope uh, our producer clips them in there. But um, oh, absolutely. Say my name. We're not cutting Venetia's pizzas because they passed the savings down to you by not cutting the pizza. You're goddamn right. I think you and I should have a say my name bet. Uh, I am going to take another team to win the South, whoever, which one of us is right at the end of this season. One of us gets to say, say my name, and the other one has to say it. So that's for all the recording glory here. But 
there's other news off the field that is just it's troubling. And to, to give the real high level of it, the NCA might rip this program apart at any moment. Recruiting violations that were just I mean, this isn't Rick Majerus buying a kid a pizza. This is coaches and Jaden Daniels mother charge having credit card charges. They're trying to get expense for flying recruits in having workouts off campus, taping those workouts, evaluating those workouts, having 30 players uh, in a suite when you're not supposed to in a dead period of recruiting, and at 10 p.m. giving campus tours and running kids up to Herm Edwards' office. Hello, you play to win the game. This is bad. This is extremely bad. The uh, Daniels' mom has claimed that her Google account was compromised. She never bought the tickets. So the investigation is out there. We don't know if any sort of, you know, if the violation, if there's going to be any sort of penalty happening now as we record or after the season, there's going to be a fall guy for all this. We don't know if it's going to be Herm or if it's going to be Pierce or or what's going to happen. And then there's rumors starting to leak out of the program in the last two weeks that Jaden Daniels, you know, might not be the quarterback uh, for the team. There's uh, a couple coaches not happy with Jaden Daniels. And I'm thinking to myself, does this have more relation to do with his uh, expense reports from his mom? Or does this have to do with the fact that, you know, the violations are coming down and they need a scapegoat? So there's things happening outside the team that make this a complete stay away from me. Now, everything you said is true. We get we get back to the field. There's a ton to love about this team. 82% returns on offense, 94% on defense. That secondary is full of seniors. I think it's the oldest secondary in all of college football. Uh, Arizona State brought in Zach Hill as the offensive coordinator. Oh, I he love had, second year. He was he's always been great. Boise, Eastern Washington, wherever he's been. So oh, yeah. second year. Yeah, you you flip the scoreboard up, and Eastern Washington's got seventy points on somebody. That was a Zach Hill offense, and now he's at Arizona State. So there's. I mean, like I said, there's a ton to love. There's a reason I was putting the helmets of Arizona State behind me. The defense is, is equally as good as the offense between their age and their experience. They were 37th in Havoc. They were 26th in coverage ranking per PFF. And they were an outstanding 18th in defensive passing success rate. That is extremely important when it comes to playing in the Pac-12. So there's not really a problem here. Uh, a young receiving core, but extremely talented. Maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, if you look at Jaden Daniels, what is he? 22 and three uh, touchdown to interception ratio. Uh, he's fantastic. And, and if you look at what he's been able to do with his legs, with his arm, I mean, he is a true talent. Uh, I'm just the problem that I've had buying Arizona State is not really the off-field stuff. It's the fact that when DraftKings first came out with odds, I think they were first to market to win the division, it was around plus 200. And they priced themselves out. And there were some other options inside the South that weren't plus 200. They were much higher. Uh, they really did a great job of getting uh, an eight and a half and nine out of the market on the win total perspective. But I think Arizona state has been priced correctly when it comes to South futures and when it comes to PAC 12 futures. And that kind of had me looking elsewhere to make a buy. And with this off field news, I'm, I'm certainly not looking to lay anything on Arizona state. Say my name. The, the one thing I will say is like, I, I didn't want to go Arizona state win total. I didn't want to go Arizona state division. I went, you know, five to one conference, because if I'm going to invest in the uncertainty, I want the upside and then a bigger payout because, you know, if there's, if Daniels is out, if something happens, I'm not trying to invest money for an entire year for, you know, minus minus one ten over eight and a half. So I yeah. went with the, the higher oh, payout. Okay, make the case, make the case for the Utes. The Utah Utes. Did you say Utes? Yeah, Utes.
Oh, I love Utah. I, I think I've had a, a little bit of written content. We've already talked about it on our first podcast. Uh, but, you know, I love everything that's going on with Utah. Charlie Brewer's performance in the spring game, 93% of the defense returns. It's also, you know, uh, very experienced, uh, 30th in success rate, top 20 in finishing drives and havoc. Everything that you would expect from a Utah defense is there. Uh, Charlie Brewer really is the icing on the cake. When he came in, he just knew the playbook. He executed it perfectly in the spring game. A shoulder injury to Cameron Rising last year. I think he's going to be the backup to Brewer, but he does have experience in case, God forbid, Charlie Brewer has a concussion or anything like that. Brewer is also joined in the transfer portal with TJ Pledger from Oklahoma. Chris Curry is going to battle for snaps at the running position with him. The Utes have one of the kindest schedules in all of the Pac-12. Outside of Weber State and San Diego State, and a depleted BYU, Utah is going to play what we think is, you know, the seller of the Pac-12 North. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of positives here in this team that we felt. And they off. get they get a bye before USC and they host Arizona State. So that's key. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, listen, USC's talented, but they crumble in the red zone. They rank 74th in defensive finishing drives and Utah returns everybody in the secondary. So I think that's going to be one of the big wins in this division. And, and uh, to me, I'm... I'm more worried. Utah's defense is so good. I, I, I'm more worried about their heads-up game against UCLA, but that game is being played at Utah. Utah has so many scheduling advantages here uh, to win this division, uh, and really that's what it comes down to because both Arizona State and UCLA and Utah return a heavy amount of experience. They've retained a lot of their high-star recruiting blue chips or four-stars, three-stars that they've got. They're all, in my opinion, very well-coached. Uh, whether that's Herm Edwards' inspiration or Winningham's uh, just game plan management or Chip Kelly and his tempo, these are three teams that just have it from every angle. But Utah has the scheduling advantages by far. Yeah, the one thing that worries me with Utah with USC is that they don't play the way that you have to play the air raid, right? They play like a lot of heavy man, right? And we've seen that they they have they always struggle with Washington State in the air raid. They've struggled with USC in the air raid. We saw it like two years ago. So are they going to switch it up? It's like we there's a blueprints out there for how to defend it, Utah. But Utah has their identity on defense, so they don't really match up well defensively. But, yeah, I mean, you have Stop to right. love the defense. This is arguably a top 15 defense with, you know, uh, Devin Lloyd is just a stud at linebacker. Sewell at linebacker as well. Their linebackers are so strong. Clark Phillips is a stud at cornerback. So, And this is, I think, the best defensive line and the best offensive line in the conference. So they're going to dominate in the trenches. They have an identity. It's tough. It's defensive-minded. They also added Theo Howard. The the wide receiver group's probably the biggest question on the team due to some transfers. Uh, But Brewer is just a winner. Um, I don't hate anything that you're you're saying. And the special teams are going to be great, too. Don't forget about that. The special teams, year in and year out, are always a top-20 unit. I... You know, and they do. They have two tough, they have semi-tough road non-conference games against San Diego State or BYU. I wouldn't be shocked if they win both. I think they split them at worst. But I think this is like best offensive line in the conference, best defensive line, top twenty defense, top twenty offensive line in the country. Brewers just a winner. They might be favored in eleven games. Yeah, at eleven out of twelve games. Uh, I so I I bought over eight and a half. Uh, so I'm with you on the Utah line. And it's kind of a hedge to Arizona State future. You know, it'd be tough to lose not Arizona State not getting to the conference title. And we need a dominant year by USC. But uh, I like over eight and a half. Uh, so I, I don't hate the love that you're showing for the Utes. 
you're right. If you're going to be stubborn and continue to run a defense with a nickel and not, you know, rush three and drop eight against USC, you're going to get burned again. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if they make the change there. They're very, pri- you know, they're very prideful about the kind of defense they run at Rice Eccles and Rice Eccles has been expanded by the way. So hopefully we can get as many vaccinated people in there screaming as loud as possible. Yeah. All right. There's one team left in the Pac-12 South, which is, I think is a really interesting sleeper. The UCLA Bruins. The win total is seven, over seven minus 115. To win the division, you can find plus 750 out there, plus 600. I think at plus 750, it's, it's worth a look. This is, you know, DTR is back, although there's some rumors that he wasn't practicing the past few days. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure I have to look more into that. But this is a team, it's year four of Chip Kelly now, right? And it hasn't gone well, but last year – this was a team that was, they lost four shootouts by 15 combined points. They were 0-4 in games decided by five points or less. They were right there. So this is now Chip Kelly's team. He kind of, I think he finally has the depth. He has his quarterback. The offensive line, which has been a disaster, I think now is serviceable. Uh-huh. And this is a team that just disguised the limit. Now, the problem is the schedule is brutal, brutal. I mean, they host Oregon, Arizona State, LSU, and Fresno State. Like four good teams. They go to Utah, USC, Stanford, and Washington. A relentless schedule. But the upside of this team is, uh, I think, extreme. They bring basically everyone back on the entire team except their running back, Felton. But they add uh, the Michigan running back transfer. And then they lost uh, their best defensive lineman to the NFL. But they bring everyone back. Last year, they had a 2.1 net yards per play jump. That was third in the nation. This team is just – the problem last year was their defense. Like they could score – and their defense was very aggressive in their 4-2-5. They led the Pac-12 in sacks, but they just got burnt consistently in the pass game. You could throw all over them. They were 127th in pass yards per attempt. I just – it was bad. But they – their new defensive back coach, we talked this on our first episode of the season, Brian Norwood, he started playing more aggressive man-to-man on the outside, which makes sense if you're going to blitz a lot and play aggressive up front. And their corners struggle with it a lot shortened season, but if their corners can take it, everyone's back in the secondary, can take a, that next step and play much better on the outside with their aggressive uh, blitzing and that offense that can score, the, this team has a really high ceiling. It's a, a very interesting team to take a flyer on to win this division because then you look and you say, okay, Arizona State, who knows what's going to happen with them? Daniels, the, there could be sanctions. Who knows? USC, it's still Clay Elton. The offensive line, <laughs> you know, who knows what you, what's going to happen with USC. They've disappointed in the past for sure. And then Utah, does the offense with Brewer end up working out? And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, here's UCLA. So the schedule is brutal, but they're an interesting team to maybe take a flyer on to win this division. Or, the pack, you know, if you want to take on the win the Pac-12, because we agree that I think Oregon and Washington are more vulnerable than I think others think. What are your thoughts on uh, UCLA? Uh, UCLA is the team at the Pac-12 South Buffet that I can't stop looking at, and I just want to eat it all until the vat's empty and they got to come reload it up, kind of like you know when I'm at Chipotle waiting on them to cut my damn steak. I, I love UCLA this year. Uh, they are in my they are in the app, the Action Network app. Downloading, you can see stuck in ice plays. Of course, uh, UCLA over seven minus one fifteen, one of my largest win total overs. Uh, FanDuel just put up a plus seven fifty on the division. I'm already holding a plus six fifty on Utah. I might go and play the UCLA one as well. That number to me is just crazy. Things are 
schedule is a little bit tougher and we got some questions going on here, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but there's no denying what they're able to do offensively. And now when you consider the talent that they were able to bring in at the end of the Mora era in 2017 and the beginning of 2018 and 19 with their recruiting, they've been able to retain most of those recruits. So they have a very high level uh, on the field right now in the product. Now, we kind of have to discuss what's going on the defensive side of the ball. Jerry Azanaro is the defensive coordinator. He's been with Chip Kelly since 2009. Uh, I believe he was at New Hampshire some right after Chip Kelly was. So they know each other extremely well. And it's just one of those kinds of coaches that Chip Kelly is not going to fire. He's just, he's got a free pass. Uh, and, you know, so you look at the, this team, what can they do about that? Well, they return over 85% of TARP on the team. Super senior rule really applies to UCLA. Four losses came last year within one possession. So this team is hungry, and that's all they talk about is when I see comments, we lost four games by one possession, so it's on their mind. The defense excelled in creating explosive plays, uh, you know, sixth in rush defense, but 29th in pass defense per expected points. So they can stop the big play, keep everything in front of them. I think that was by design, but they have a really hard time increasing their success rate, which is, you know, barely going up. Uh, and then last year kind of fell out. They fell from 80th to 121st, uh, you know, the real handicap for me with UCLA and why I love them so much is what they did with their quarterbacks coach. They went out and got Ryan Gunderson, the passing game coordinator for San Jose state. If you're not familiar with San Jose state one day, everybody just woke up and it was one of the best passing attacks in all college football with Nick Starkle. Uh, color me surprise is, is a Razorback alum that Nick Starkle came through Fayetteville and was exited out in his Bieber shirt real quick after, you know, not getting any traction at Texas A&M. He shows up at San Jose State. Nick Starkle had six of his eight games last year. He at least had a 40-yard pass. I mean, he was explosive play crazy. And this was just, you know, we didn't expect this of San Jose State. And a lot of it was because of Ryan Gunderson being the passing game coordinator. What he did with Nick Starkle, and I'm not trying to like do a comparison between Nick Starkle and DTR and say that they're the same player, but Nick Starkle from a perspective of big time throws versus turnover worthy plays, it's worth mentioning that that completely got flipped around. It was like a one to two ratio. And then it turned around to be like a three to one ratio for Nick Starkle. And that's what we've got with uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson. That's going to be Gunderson's entire job with almost a hundred more dropbacks. Starkle cut his turnover worthy plays from our at Arkansas from 11 to just seven at San Jose state. And that's crazy considering he had like 150 more snaps. So there's no bigger stat with DTR than turnover worthy plays for his career. This is a stats crazy to me. Dorian Thompson Robinson in his career has had 21 big time throws and 44 turnover worthy plays. Uh, he has <laughs> really killed a lot of us in the betting market when we have decided to bet on UCLA and Gunderson's job is to come in there and eliminate those mistakes. If not, we get to go to the backup. I believe in Gunderson. I believe in what he did at, at San Jose state. And I think he can get the same results here. There's, you know, playmakers on both sides of the ball. I, I don't want to sound too crazy here. This is a team that can win the South. This is a team that can easily exceed seven wins. This is a team that, you know, can put up 60 points on you in a flash. There's a lot of defenses that can't deal with what UCLA is going to do. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I love this UCLA team, and I don't know what their ceiling is. Chip Kelly, year four at Oregon, 12-1 and one, national championship lost by a field goal. Year four at UCLA? No. But, Can they make the college football uh, playoff? No, stop. I think they're 15,000 to one or something. <clears throat> this schedule is brutal. They are not, yeah. they'd have to go undefeated, which they're not doing. What um, if they score 80 points a game? 
they were going to lose at least one game, 85 to 80. <laughs> All right. Great stuff. I mean, just a fun conference to go through, but we're not done. By the way, remember to review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. All right, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, favorite win total. All right, I'll start here. All right, I've already made a case for Utah over eight and a half. Uh, big fan, offensive line, that defense. I love Charlie Brewer. He's just a winner. This is a team that might be favored in 11 of 12 games. I, I, I love this team. Good scheduling spots. Over eight and a half for me with Utah. Uh, the other one, Washington State under. I, if you can find that under six and a half minus 150, love that. Also love under six minus 120. I think it's going to take another year for Rolovich in this transition, not only on the offense of the run and shoot, but the defense of the 425. The defense is just still a mess. I don't know who they're throwing the ball to. Um, and Guarantano might be the quarterback. Uh, which is would just be a nightmare. I cannot see them in any world getting to seven wins, which means they'll win seven games. Uh, but the one that I didn't mention here that I'll talk about is Colorado. Under four and a half wins, minus 105 is what I got. The Colorado Buffaloes. Now you might say under four and a half wins Colorado. They went four and two last year. Why? why? And Carl Durrell's first year which if he's Pac-12 coach there, did an amazing job considering the circumstances. But I think it was a lot of smoke and mirrors. I mean, who did they beat? I mean, they, their schedule was a cakewalk. You know, they got blown up by Utah at the end of the year, then they got blown up by Texas in the bowl game. But there's a lot of questions with this team. Quarterback, still undetermined. We have another Tennessee transfer, JT Shroud or Brennan Lewis, who played in that bowl game and showed some flashes against Texas. But I have a lot of questions about the offensive line. Uh, they recently lost uh, their – best offensive lineman to surgery. He's probably going to be out the first three or four weeks. The defense, I have quite the defensive line is a mess. Like in the trenches, I have a lot of questions about this team. Now look, they have talented backs. They have a, a bunch of young talent, you know, Chenault's younger brother, Jerry Rice's kid. There's just a lot of talent on the outside, but yeah, questions about quarterback. I have questions, a lot of questions about the offensive line, the defensive secondary, the defensive line. Linebacker really strong when healthy, but maybe a top 15 linebacker group. But, you know, Lamon's recovering from an ACL. They have someone else recovered from an ACL. So are they healthy? I'm not sure. But this team, just a lot of smoke and mirrors last year. They just beat up on an easy schedule, and they went 2-0 and in one-possession games. I, I think there's a lot of regression coming for Colorado this year. And their schedule is ridiculous. Um, it's probably a top five hardest schedule in the country. They play six ranked teams. All right, so they got to get the five wins to go over this. I'm, I'm, I make them like three point seven. So you look at their schedule and you say, and look, they play Texas A&M and Minnesota out in non-conference in Northern Colorado. They open with Northern Colorado to win that game. They also get Arizona at home after a bye. Way, way to waste a bye. That's your second win. They could beat Minnesota at home. Let's give them that win. It's a coin flip game. That's that's three wins. So assuming they win the coin flip game with Minnesota. And we'll give them Oregon State at home. That's four wins. Mm-hmm. With a, We're giving them the coin flip win. We're, let's find the fifth win. Maybe USC at home. Nope. But I don't see it. Uh, at Cal? Yep. Um, <laughs> maybe. That's it. But I, I like. I would like Cal in that game. And that, that's the week before they go to Oregon. You know, then they're at UCLA, Washington, and then at Utah to close out the year. So, you know – I'll give them one of Minnesota and Cal, but I think they lose at Cal, and then I think Minnesota's a coin flip. So I think this team's either winning three or four games at the most, and uh, I make it 3-7. I think there's some regression coming. Questions about 
their trenches and they're still undecided on quarterback. This defense just really scares me. The schedule goes from extremely easy last year um, to one of the hardest in the country. It's a brutal schedule, and uh, I think Colorado's in for a rough year in the Pac-12. Yeah, I completely agree. They can only win five games on this schedule, and and they have to win them all <laughs> to get to, yep. to get to this win total. So definitely, definitely a good buy there. I am going to go with two teams that we've already discussed at length. So I'm going to say uh, first Stanford under four. Uh, the days of the tip drill of our tight ends and our wide receivers getting deep passes from KJ Costello and Davis Mills and then Bryce Love, you know, running wild. Those days are gone. Those skill position players can't be replaced by a freshman Tanner McKee. Uh, this is an offensive line that's going to be able to protect him, but there is no one behind him to run the ball. There's nobody on the outside to throw to. And then the defense is progressively getting worse from a success rate standpoint. Uh, Stanford is heading in the wrong direction. And David Shaw is wants to be physical. He wants to run 12 and 13 sets. That's two or three tight ends. And it's just not the style that's going to win a whole lot of games. The schedule is completely full of power five programs. The only true bye week on this schedule is the actual bye week itself. The opener comes against Deuce Vaughn uh, and Skylar Thompson with Kansas State. That is a game where essentially is a coin flip at a neutral site, but that neutral site is Arlington on a fast track and Deuce Vaughn is going to be able to go wherever he wants. And Skylar Thompson, they should be completely healthy coming into this game. So Stanford under four, a game I project well under. Uh, I'm going to let that float until about a week before the season starts. And not only will I probably be on Kansas State, but I'm going to take the Stanford under there because the juice keeps going up and four and a half pops, that's better than a four. As far as the total I really love on the Action Network app, you can see UCLA over seven. Uh, Everything that I love about this team from uh, the amount of experience they have, from the recruiting classes they've been able to maintain, the retention level of Chip Kelly in year four. And then you go and look at you know what they have from explosive weapons on offense in the backfield, what they've had transfer in. But really, this all boils down to Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He has shown us flashes over the last three years that he can be the best quarterback in the Pac-12. The problem has always been the turnovers. I mean, when your career is 21 big-time throws and 44 turnover-worthy plays, Someone's got to come in and help DTR get to the right spot. And they did that with Ryan Gunderson coming in as the new quarterback coach, formerly passing game coordinator for San Jose State. San Jose State, who just showed up out of nowhere in college football and had Nick Starkle dropping bombs on everybody. Gunderson had that effect on the Spartans. He can have that same effect on the Bruins. He's proven it before. Oh, he was nominated for a Broyles Award before. Uh, He's proven that he can do it, and UCLA is going to get to new heights because of him, so over seven on the Bruins. Let's just hope that this doesn't turn out to be Jeff Glinsky part two um, <laughs> with UCLA. He said he wanted uh, to be electric and vertical. So I started betting San Diego state overs. I couldn't help myself. San Diego state overs are going to go 10 and two this year. Now, do you, do you um, know what it's like when an offensive coordinator says he wants to be electric and vertical vertical. And then the game totals 39 and a half. I, I, I couldn't help myself. I just thought somebody could sneeze and score that many points, you know? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to second down and let's talk our favorite future. Here's the thing about the future. Every time you look at it, it changes because you looked at it. I talked at length why I took a shot on the upside of Arizona State, but there's a lot of uncertainty there and who knows what's going to happen. So I'll say my favorite future is Washington to win the Pac-12 North. 
plus 135. It's out there. Find it. It's a two-team race in the North between Oregon and Washington. These two teams are very similar. I mean, I have questions about both quarterbacks. They return a lot in the offensive line. It's a second-year offensive coordinator in their system, new defensive staff. There's just so many similarities. I have questions about the Washington's receivers, questions about Oregon's rush day. But I just – what it comes down to is the gap between these two teams, I think, is a lot narrower than the market is assuming. And the division will likely come down to that head-to-head game when they play each other and they play in Washington. And I think that's basically a coin flip. So I'll take the plus 135 with Washington. On top of that, Washington has a much more manageable conference schedule. Oregon's schedule is much more difficult on the road for two teams that have great home field. But in a game, I think right now a lot can change. Uh, would be basically a coin flip based on my power ratings. And again, that likely will determine the division. Uh, give me the Huskies plus 135 to win the North. Where are you going for your favorite Pac-12 future? Yeah, I like that. Uh, I'm on that too. I am going to go to what is going to be a battle royale uh, in the Pac-12 South between four teams that all, sh- and frankly, should be priced the same to win the division, but they're not priced the same. And when we look at USC, there's just so many unanswered questions from, are they going to ever, you know, hand the ball off? Are they ever going to have a rushing game? Uh, You know, is the, is the boosters and the fans going to be able to handle this air raid to continue on? Are they going to get shut down when teams, every defense besides maybe Utah rushes three and drops eight? Uh, I'm not liking the direction of the USC program. They're becoming extremely one dimensional and, you know, they have to replace some havoc on defense, but when you look at UCLA, for all the reasons that I made there, there is they also cannot stop the rush. Any team with a rushing attack is going to be able to put them in their place, and you're just going to have to outscore them. But when you get to Arizona State, we just don't know when the NCAA is going to bring a sledgehammer to that program. It could be next year. It could be right now. What we know is they're extremely talented, filled with super seniors, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, being supported by Vinicius Pizza. Uh, I love Arizona State, but that that cloud that's surrounding that program right now because of the recruiting violations has me off of them. But more importantly, forget about the off-field stuff. Arizona's, Arizona State's price is the real reason I'm not on them. When they were originally listed, they were as one of the favorites to win the South. It's totally deserved for what they have coming back. The team that is not being priced correctly, that has all of these advantages on the field, uh, has – full of super seniors, a defense that's, you know, great and success rate, unlike all these other defenses or, you know, can't handle it. Uh, Utah has the defense from a success rate standpoint to stop the rush and the pass. They just need to learn how to hand, how to handle an air raid and they'll be fine. But the transfer in of Charlie Brewer is the big difference. He's proved it in another power five conference before at a team not named Oklahoma a team, not named Texas. Uh, he was able to get little old Baylor, uh, to do some damage in that conference. And the price point is what makes the difference here. Utah has scheduling advantages. Utah has price advantages in the market, and they have a quarterback that can take them all the way to the championship game. I like Utah's number to win the Pac-12 South. Yep, great offensive line, great defense. They're going to dominate the trenches. They have an identity, and Brewer's a winner. I don't hate it. All right, before we get out of here, third down, really quickly, Pac-12 championship game prediction. I'm going to say Arizona State say my name, over Washington. So that means I cash my – I mean, being really biased here, but obviously I bet it because I like it. Washington wins the Pac-12 North, and Arizona State cashes are my uh, Pac-12 future. Where are you going? 
do you really want to live in a world without classic Coke? I am going to have Stucky saying my name at the end of the podcast season because Utah is the one that's going to win the South. They are going to go on to face Washington. I'm going to take Utah to win the Pac-12 over Washington. I think the one thing to watch for this year, Pac-12 has a lot of interesting teams. There is a handful of them in the South that can really do some damage. Will that translate to the national level or will the Pac-12 continue to work themselves out of the national picture? We will find out, but I love Utah over Washington in this conference. There you have it. The 2021 Pac-12 betting preview as comprehensive as you will find out there. Really fun conference. We'll be talking about them all year uh, and getting a lot of Walter White quotes in. You're goddamn right. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to the new feed. Thanks, as always, Colin, for joining me. We're going to go probably just eat, rest our eyes for two minutes, and then it's back to work. Next, we have the group of five, the SEC, and then before you know it, in less than 20 days, college football will be here. So it's time for us to go get back to work. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.